0: Thank you. Welcome to this episode of NLN, Nursing Edge Unscripted, the scholarship track. I'm your host, Dr. Sue Furnaris, Director for the Division of Innovation and Education Excellence at the National League for Nursing. Nursing Edge Unscripted and our track entitled Scholarship celebrates the published work of select nurse educators from the NLN's official journal, Nursing Education Perspectives. We also include Um, educators from our NLN Nursing Edge blog, as well as some of the individual work that comes out of the division. The conversations embrace the author's unique perspectives on teaching and learning innovations and the implications for nursing program development and enhancement. This episode is entitled Educating Nursing Students About Delivering Culturally Sensitive Care to Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, transgender, questioning queer, intersex plus patients, or the LGBTQ plus patients, the impact of an advocacy program on knowledge and attitudes. This particular manuscript was published in NEP in the July August 2021 issue. And it features two um, of the authors who will be visiting with um, today, Dr. Todd Tartavel who is Associate Professor of Clinical Nursing at Louisiana State University School of Nursing in New Orleans, Louisiana, and Dr. Jessica Landry, Assistant Professor of Clinical Nursing at the University of Louisiana, Lafayette. Welcome to both of you, and thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. So um to begin with uh, I wanna emphasize and, and, and bring in this notion of diversity, inclusivity and equity. This particular topic falls right in line with that conversation that's happening across our country and really importantly in our higher education environments. And it's really timely and important and addressing it head on and really working to better prepare our future professional nurses is really an imperative um, as we think about our roles as educators in schools of nursing. Um, In the manuscript, um, you both discuss Out Alliance, which is a program, and then a program entitled the Advocacy Program, which is an important collaboration uh, within the Louisiana State University School of Nursing that takes on kind of this leadership role on providing education on the LGBTq plus population. So I'm wondering it might be really helpful to sort of begin uh, to talk a bit about this how this program evolved and perhaps how that laid some subsequent collaborative work between the both of you. If you could share that journey that that would be a nice place for us to begin.
1: And I'll, I'll let Jessica begin because the program began because of Jessica and experience she had with, with a patient. So I'll let Dr. Landry share her story and, and how it became.
2: So I'm also a nurse practitioner, and I've been a nurse practitioner for a really long time almost 17 years now. And I've been teaching along with that. Um, but I was in and I was teaching at the same time at LSU, and I was working in a suburban ER, a pretty busy area. And my nurse came and got me and said, I need you to go see this patient. He's a 12 year old little boy. And he had tried to commit suicide. He had taken a uh, belt and put it around his neck to try to asphyxiate himself. And I really have a lot of experience in the ER. I really didn't feel uncomfortable seeing this kid. And, and if you're not familiar with ER nursing, as soon as somebody tries to attempt suicide, it's automatic. They get what's called, especially in our state, what's called a PEC or Physician's Emergency Certificate, where they go straight for an emergency psychiatric eval. So that process was already in place, even before I went into the room. But I had no like fear of seeing him or discomfort, I felt confident in in doing that. So I went into the room and I talked to him, I examined his neck and everything else about this child was normal. He had, you know, two parents, he was making A's at school, he denied any bullying, he had no history of mental illness, nor family history of mental illness, he had or seen uh, for for anything like that. Um, we, we talked at length about his relationship with his parents and his, his siblings and there was no red flags whatsoever and I went back to the desk to type in diagnosed suicide attempt or major depression and something just really didn't sit right with me. It, it, the pieces of it just wasn't right for me. So I went back into the room and I asked everybody to leave the parents the social worker everybody and I sat down on his bed and I grabbed his little hand and I said I don't understand. Like why would you want to hurt yourself? I said, please, please help me to understand this about you. And he looked at me squarely and he said, because I'm a girl, and nobody understands that. And I think like in that moment, I didn't know what to say. I was trying to communicate that, the PEC that we were about to have him committed was not related to his gender identity. It was related to the self-harm attempt, Mm -hmm. but I didn't communicate that right. Uh, I fumbled those words, and this this child chose to come out to me in that moment, and I stumbled. I fumbled. I didn't know what to say, and I really lost that, that moment of rapport that I could have developed in that relationship, and she stopped talking to me at that point and put you know head down and, and I really lost that opportunity and it, it it never left me. I left the room feeling very uncomfortable thinking not only me with all my experience and my teaching, I'm not knowing what to say, I'm not teaching my students what to say, and this is a problem and how to interact. Respectfully and and make environments that are inclusive and and feel comfortable with ourselves, knowing what to say mm-hmm. and respond. And so I went back to school. It was with I was at LSU at the time, and I went to the dean's office and and I said, "Look, I said we really need some education." And we'd already known about the Out Alliance, which sadly, since COVID, no longer exists. They're they're not there anymore. So that's why Todd and I feel like advocacy is so important because it sort of is the last remaining. I don't know, um, literature, if you will, or or program, if you will, that, that really speaks to teaching healthcare providers especially how to interact, but I went to the Dean and I said, look, we need some education. Uh, He says, well, if you get some faculty members that are interested, we'll get y'all trained. And so of course, Dr. Tardival, and I accepted that it's called the safe zone training. It was without Alliance. And then we kind of adapted their material with their permission and help, of course, to really tailor this general information about the LGBT community more towards healthcare providers, whether that's doctors, nurses, even intake people that you accept, patients into the office or hospital or what have you. And, and just how to be respectful, respectful communication, inclusive spaces. Um, anything I'm missing with that, Todd?
1: No, I, I think you, you're, you're explaining quite well wh- wh- how the program evolved. So with the collaboration with the Out Alliance, we created the advocacy program. And the thing I think which is really important is that the um, Out Alliance with Safe Zone, it's voluntary. Like you cannot make people take that training because if I'm taking it, I have a sticker that says I'm a safe space outside my door so students can come speak to me. Whereas the advocacy program, we get around it because we can make it mandatory, um, which is what's happened. So we go into our classrooms and the students listen to this. Um, You know, we've gone to hospitals in the, in the, um, Louisiana, um, in state of Louisiana, and we've done the training um, at several hospitals where, you know, the, um, the chief nurse officers made all the employees, made dietary, made the um, policemen attend this this training. So that way they were well-versed in, in LGBTQ plus terminology and how to communicate with, with different patients. So, yeah, so that's why the advocacy program is so important because now people are, are saying, okay, you come do this for us. We, all of our students need to hear this. All of our staff need to hear this. So that's how it kind of evolved.
0: So it sounds to me almost like the Out Alliance, uh, unfortunately, is no longer there, but the advocacy program is continuing and far reaching in terms of your getting that information out there. Well, that yes. is correct. Wow. That,
1: that is correct. Yes. Yeah. So it, it started off um, small. Um, we we're just doing our students here at the School of Nursing. Um, and then we started off our continuing education. Um, program, and then, then the word got out, um, you know, and then, you know, schools wanted us to come throughout the state of Louisiana, up to North Louisiana, Central Louisiana, to, to do this training, and so we've, we've done six schools of nursing, and, and where we've hit all their students, which has been pretty, pretty exciting, which is the data in, in the research article.
0: So then when you developed the program, how did the, the article emerge, or the study, the research, emerge from that?
1: Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I have a research-based doctorate, and that's why Dr. Landry and I work so well, because she's the clinical background. She's like, okay, this is clinically, this is what we need. And she's like, I don't understand the research stuff. You handle the research <laughs> stuff. So I'm like, you know, if we're doing this, we're going to collect data. Um, and so, you know, we went through the proper processes through IRB and, and worked with someone to um, with an instrument, a couple instruments to use to collect the data. Um, so we're like, if we're going to do this, we're going to see if we really have outcomes, positive outcomes from the training. And that's how that evolved.
0: Okay. So share a little bit about the question you had in terms of what it was you were attempting to try to learn or or perhaps put some science behind um, a feeling or a belief you you held about this.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, I spoke to a couple other nurse researchers here at the School of Nursing, and, and um, we, we kind of came across some different things we wanted to really learn, like knowledge and attitudes with this uh, sort of training. So this is, I will say this is the first step, okay? We want to just kind of say, okay, what, what can we change? Are we able to change knowledge and attitudes based on, on this program? And, and, and we were. So obviously we have next steps, which is we're we're actually in collaboration with the University of Pittsburgh, who has a, a module that they've created on LGBTQ+. Um, and so we're collaborating with them where we're going to do a program where we're going to show their module to our incoming students. And then we're going to do parts of the advocacy training program. And then we're going to measure continually, longitudinal, um, collect data, as opposed to just a pre-post-test cross-sectional, collect data longitudinally, and then at the end have a simulation to really see if they can put everything we've learned and, and take care of a patient who, who identifies as LGBTQ+. So we're, we're building, yes.
0: <laughs> that's that's really exciting. I know the, um, the National League for Nursing is also, uh, and part of the reason why I was particularly um, interested as I was reading, about your study, um, received the NLN received a grant from the Hearst Foundation to develop a series of um, faculty development resources to use in teaching their learners about the healthcare needs of the LGBTQ plus population. So we're in the process of, of adapting our Advancing Care Excellence series to incorporate that population, so a framework Um, And three simulation scenarios as well as teaching strategies so it'll be a good um, blend because this is really an emerging uh, center of teaching and learning need that is missing from many schools, and they want it but they need special resources for this because it is a unique, a unique um, group population in Ter- terminology. When you mentioned terminology, Jessica, um, that, that's huge. And the part that struck me in your story as you were talking was this um, notion of the, the patient that you were working with withholding that information. And that was something that came out in your article um, from both of you that the patient experience um, really continues to change. And as we think about inclusivity, and that's emphasized. And now, of course, the implicit bias that is becoming much more prevalent in our healthcare systems, it's you can understand how patients withhold information and how this this young person withheld it even from his family. And so as a nurse, that's really a concern. So I'm wondering if you could share your thinking on this.
2: I'll just say one thing about what you were saying before going backwards with how uh educating faculty. One thing that Todd and I have seen through this whole process is when you're working with the students, they get it. It really clicks with them for the most part. I mean, you have those outliers that, you know, are special, but most of the time the students get it. It's the, our biggest, I don't want to say struggle, but our biggest sort of obstacle in some ways have been the faculty. And, and not that they're not willing to learn, but they, there's a lot that they don't understand. And so it's not that they're not trying it's just they're afraid to speak up they're not sure what to say so I think there needs to be a lot of work with nursing faculty because once the faculty is on board the students just get
1: right it. right and that's so important and and, and several of our faculty do struggle with this because I've heard from students and you know in a health assessment class you know they they got on a discussion for some reason of Bruce Jenner Caitlyn Jenner and and the faculty kept calling Caitlyn Jenner he him he him and the students like it's her it's she it's her it's Caitlin um, so but that's once again the faculty not knowing uh, not feeling comfortable and then the faculty came and spoke with me she's like that's I always knew him as Bruce Jenner as an Olympian I'm like I, I get that but but he, he um, is now she and likes to go by she her and hers and Caitlin so we have to, you know, we have to broaden our thinking and, and, and things like that. So, like Jessica said, it's the faculty who need the most development with this, because if they're not comfortable, then, then they don't want to speak to students, you know, because they want to feel comfortable and confident in what they teach. I mean, you're not going to stay in front of a, an audience and talk about pulmonary disease all day. I'm comfortable and confident, but if you talk, you know, about LGBT, I'm gonna ooh, because I may not know as much.
2: And yeah, I know that, was, right? that was yeah. Okay. Oh,
1: No, no. No, No, As as, as an educator, you know, I don't want to I don't want students questioning me. I want them to think that, OK, I know what I'm talking about. And if they see that I have a weakness, then, you know, how students can be, you know. So I think that's a big fear of faculty.
2: And I think the other piece to that is when you do have a faculty that's not comfortable, they're not against it necessarily. They just don't want to say the wrong thing, they'll be very quiet. And then the students interpret that as well, they're opposed or they don't understand or what. when really it's more of a defense mechanism. Like I don't want to offend anybody. So those are some of the challenges that we've seen.
0: Yeah, well, and credibility with your learner is so important. And so it... it, it, the importance of that population is mirrored in terms of how well the faculty is handling the content. It's the same with any other content, but probably very noticeable in this particular situation because of the diversity pieces um, that it reaches reaches out to. And and the terminology was one area as we worked to develop resources that was so important and the use of proper use of pronouns and how those patients, those individuals are recognized, um, huge, has huge implications.
1: Yes, it it does. Um, And a lot of, and and when we talk to the students, you're like, okay, how can you make a difference? Because we we talked to them about taking a sexual health history also, Dr. Landry does this, and by trying to normalize things, like when I have the conversation with an incoming patient, you know, do you have sex with men, women, or both? you know, normalize the conversation, you know, what, what is your pronouns? Um, you know, we ask everyone that if the patient tells you that polyamorous, you as a healthcare provider, what are you doing about that? What are you going to teach them? What questions do you want to know? So it's more about practice. We're trying to get them into also with with terminology and things like that, implementing in that practice.
0: Really? Yeah. So I want to circle back to the question that I had led to about this notion of Um, patients withholding information. And Jessica, your particular experience with the the child who actually withheld the information from his parents. um, Talk to us about how that has um, that experience and the implications of that impacts how you advocate and train or educate our learners about this.
2: Well, we start off first by discussing the disparities, because I think that a lot of people don't understand the health disparities in the group. So that's kind of where we get their attention is, look how many attempt suicide. Look how many suffer from depression, substance abuse, homelessness. So we kind of get their attention that way. And then I always share my story, right? Just so that they understand the importance of why does this matter to me as a nurse? Because I think that's a lot of times in, in teaching this kind of content, people think, oh, well, you know, I treat everybody the same. I don't need to know this. It's okay. And one of the things we try to get across is what does that really mean? You treat everybody the same because that's sort of been a theme that we hear a lot as in going through this process. And usually the responses we'll get are, "Is well, I treat everybody with respect," or "I treat everybody, um, you know, like a, like a patient, I, any patient I would treat." And really, we know that that's not true because if you know that. If you don't know anything about somebody's culture, anything about their values, their lifestyle, you, you might think you're being respectful, but you're really not. And it's playing out in the stats. It's playing out in the disparities that this community is not seeking care at the same rate as heterosexuals. And we need to ask ourselves as nurses, why is that? And I think that sometimes they do withhold information and all the all the research shows they feel they feel invisible. They feel like they're going to be judged in some kind of way and can't. Don't feel comfortable, feel like that their lifestyle is going to be going to be judged or their sexual behaviors are going to be judged. And that kind of ties into what Dr. Tartaville was talking about, normalizing taking that sexual history, right? You have sex with men, women or both. Like we ask this to everyone. We're not singling you out because we think you're in this group. This is just something that we as a nurse want to be able to know so that we can and, you know, anticipate guiding you towards a better health. And, and I think that 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 work starts with faculty, because if we could all get on board, we can make a huge change in the next 10 years or so if every if we could get all these nursing students to sort of, you know, normalize this conversation. I think overall patients would have a better, better sense of wanting to talk to us and saying seeking out Oh, that's a nurse, I can tell her or him, you know, I, I can tell this person, they won't judge me. And I think that would just be a great vision for the future for nursing.
0: Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that puts a lot of it into context in terms of also of our role as educators and the role modeling we need to, to do, because essentially that's what we're doing as part of our education, is the role modeling with our learners. So if I were to put this in the context of a, a one of our podcast listeners, so for instance, me, um, talk to me about how um, this research, if I'm thinking about myself as a nurse educator or nurse educator research researcher could use this information and the findings from the study to influence the work that I'm doing. In other words, what what do we do with this information? So how do you, I know you're making great inroads and great um, great work in Louisiana with the the advocacy program. What steps might I take to use this information to bring about change in, in my school of nursing or my work setting?
1: I mean, I think it's more about just normalizing it. Once again, um, looking at your curriculum, um, having it in the curriculum, first of all, but not making it like it's a special thing. Like it's just part of everyday life. I think that's the biggest thing is to just make it normal. Um, you know, in health assessment in the first semester, our students, okay, let's look at intake farms. Okay, what, what is, look at the intake form. How is it, how can we make it better as a nurse? You know, how do you become more inclusive? If they just have male, female on the intake farm, well, we know that that's that appropriate, you know, and, and, and if I'm an LGBTQ patient and I don't identify as a male or female, then I'm not gonna come back to you. And then once again, the disparities increase. So I think just normalizing in the curriculum w- would go a long ways, mm-hmm. my thoughts. What about you, Jessica?
2: Yes, I agree. And I think introducing it early, like maybe early in a health assessment undergrad and then sort of building on that throughout the curriculum. So it's not just they're getting it one time, they're getting it in pieces throughout. And it's only about the graduates, too. I mean, graduate students need it as well.
0: And so starting um, an advocacy program within, do you envelop that into the nursing coursework in your different colleges right now? How does that intersect?
1: So, here at LSU, uh, we we do the program with all of our our students who are about to graduate right now. Um, But we're in the process of a curriculum revision um, and we're looking at everything and how we can thread this from the beginning to the end. So, that's what we're doing. We're doing our homework, you know, because women's health, you know, this is a prime example. I mean, this should be included in in, a women's health course, a pediatric course. I mean, because these are our kids. You know, when they're struggling with depression and anxiety and suicide, like Dr. Landry's little patient, I mean, they, they need to understand this in pediatrics and they're doing an assessment. You, this needs to be on your radar when, when, when a kid comes, when a child comes in who, who tries to commit suicide. So that's just how we have it here at LSU, but we're blown, we're looking at the curriculum and we're going to include it more throughout, thread it throughout.
2: Yeah, at UL, in undergrad, there's a simulation with a transgender patient. That's how they introduce undergrad. And then graduate, it's included. A lot of their, it's all a lot online here with the graduate school. So we do it uh, in their course, their their PEDS course, like Todd was just talking about, when they learn PEDS and GYN health.
0: Yeah, really Um and as you think about this unique population, this, this really opens the door to embracing diversity, equity, and inclusivity in many other ways. As we think about nurses being advocates and use of the language and use of terminology um, extends beyond this population to others, as you think about it as being a really prime example. So um, a lot and of I'll, I'll that just- get me- Go ahead. And I'll
1: piggyback because because of this actually here at LSU, we've actually created a position for an associate dean of DEI for the School of Nursing. Now, we have one for the whole Health Science Center, um, which includes medicine, dentistry, you know, public health. But we have a position created just for the School of Nursing looking at these issues. But it goes beyond just LGBTQ, like you said, um, students, it goes across the whole spectrum. So we're excited that we're leading, you know, leading the way here at the Health Science Center. nursing always leads the way. We're the first ones that do everything. I mean, Jessica can tell you we were the first or still the only school who had um, the gender um, neutral bathroom here um, at the School of Nursing, you know, in the Health Science Center. You know, we have two of them. I think
2: in the state. I think it was in the state.
1: Yeah, in the state. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: But we as nurses led that charge here at, um, at the Health Science Center.
0: Well, nurses always figure it out, don't you? (laughs) You just know that. It's uh, you find a nurse and she'll figure, she'll find a solution to it or an inroad somewhere. So, (laughs) well, you both are doing amazing work and such a timely and important um, conversation as we think about um, bringing forward our next generation of professional nurses. So, thank you. Uh, so much for taking the time to uh, be with us this morning and uh, sharing uh, your wisdom and your scholarship. And I look forward to the ongoing work and publication as you move forward with this.
1: Thank you
2: so much for having us. It's really an honor. I appreciate it.
1: Yes. And I echo Jessica's words completely also. It's, It's been great. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome. And to our listeners, um, if you want to read more about the study and the work that uh, uh, Dr. Landry and Dr. Tartavel are doing, you can go to the July-August 2021 issue of Nursing Education Perspectives, Volume 42, and it features, uh, features this article. So thank you again, all, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to your ongoing work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.